Welcome to Reign of Grace. This program is brought to you by Reign of Grace Media Ministries, an outreach ministry of Eager Avenue Grace Church in Albany, Georgia. It is our pleasure and privilege to present to you the gospel message of the sovereign grace and glory of God in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that today's program will be a blessing to you. Thank you for listening, and now for today's program. Welcome to our program. I'm glad you could join us today. And if you'd like to follow along in your Bibles, I'll be preaching from the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 14. And the title of the message is The Spirit of Truth. The Spirit of Truth. And of course, what I'll be talking about is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, the Godhead, made up of one, is one God in three persons, not three gods. True Christians are not uh, polytheists. We don't believe in many gods. There's one God. When the Lord gave Moses the Ten Commandments and gave, gave them to Israel, that, that's how he started. There's one God. Not two, not three, not many. One God. But he exists in his nature in three persons. And this is the majesty of God. He, uh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And these three persons are one. We sing that hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy. God in three persons. And that's not God in three roles or three manifestations, as the modalists say. But it's one God in three persons. God the Father represents the sovereignty the rule of the Godhead. And that's why we come to scriptures, you're going to hear the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God manifest in the flesh, the Son of God, but equal with the Father in every attribute of deity. But he'll say things like, I'm come not to do mine own will, but the will of the Father. Now what he's talking about there, that's covenant language. And you need to understand that. In the covenant of grace, which is the covenant of redemption, the covenant of salvation, God the Son subjected Himself to the Father in His office as the Redeemer, as the Savior of sinners, because He had to take the place of His people. He had to be their surety. You hear me talk about this all the time if you watch this program. Christ is the surety of, of the covenant. Now that means all the responsibility of the sin debt of his people was laid upon him and the father is the one who imputed it to Christ, charged it to Christ. And Christ willingly submitted himself to the father for the purposes of being the surety of God's people. And he had to be the substitute. He had to come and become incarnate which means he had to take upon himself sinless human, human flesh, a human body and soul, the incarnation. That's what that's called. Uh, it was, uh, he was, uh, his humanity was formed by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the virgin. And he subjected himself, he uh, condescended to be made like unto his people, yet without sin, 
in order to be their substitute. The Bible says in Galatians 4 and verse 4, In the fullness of the time, God sent forth His Son to be made of a woman, that's His incarnation, to be made under the law. He had to keep the law. He's the creator of the law. He's the giver of the law, along with the Father and the Spirit. But He had to be made subject to the law to keep the law as the substitute of His people. And then He had to go to the cross and die to satisfy the justice of God. And that's his, that's, he's our Redeemer. Surety, substitute, and Redeemer. The shed blood of Christ is the salvation of His people. And so, that's what He did as the Son of God incarnate. So the Father represents the sovereignty of the Godhead. The Son is the salvation of His people. And then the Holy Spirit is the sovereign applicator, you might say, or applier of all the blessings that come from the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings us under the gospel and and in the new birth gives us spiritual life from the dead and imparts faith, repentance, perseverance, all of those things and keeps us under glory. So when you hear language like that, where Christ says, like in the verses that we're coming up to, He's going to say, the Father is greater than I. Well, now, He's equal with the Father in every attribute of deity. But as the surety, substitute, and redeemer of His people, as the mediator, the one mediator between God and men, the Father is greater than the Son in the sense that the Son represents saved uh, the, the elect of God who are saved by the grace of God. And He presents us to the Father. And He's seated right now at the right hand of the Father, ever living to make intercession for us. Now, in John chapter 14 and verse 15, here He's in the upper room speaking to His disciples concerning the gospel, concerning events that were about to happen in His death, burial, and resurrection, all of that. He speaks a lot about Him going away the disciples were very distraught and very sad about that. But they, he says, you shouldn't be because this is why I came into the world. <clears throat> and he starts off here. Look at verse 15. This is John 14 and verse 15. He says this. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, you know, anytime people see the word commandments in the Bible, they automatically think of the Ten Commandments that were given to Israel in the Old Covenant. And certainly there is a moral code there in the Ten Commandments and in the whole law of Moses. There's a moral code that spans time and eternity. For example, uh, the Ten Commandments says, Thou shalt not kill. Well now, murder is a sin. But murder did not become a sin when God gave uh, Moses the Ten Commandments. Murder was a sin before that. When Cain murdered Abel, Cain committed an awesome, great sin. A bad sin. So the, the uh, uh, prohibition for murder and for adultery, for all of those things, the moral code, 
has always been the law of God. And it's written on the conscience even of the Gentiles who did not receive the law. Romans chapter 2 speaks about that. The Gentile nations who didn't have the Ten Commandments, they had laws of society. Now there were times when people were very lawless. And it was, a, it was an awful world to live in. But whenever you see commandments, don't always go to the Decalogue and say that, well, Christ is talking about the Ten Commandments here. If you love me, keep the Ten Commandments. First of all, the Ten Commandments, along with the whole law that was given at Mount Sinai, was a moral code of righteousness that no human being can keep. And you can't keep it perfectly. Now you may say, well, we can try to keep it. Yes, you can try to keep it. But you're going to fail. And that's what Christ spoke of in the, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount. When He said, you know, they accused Him of being a lawbreaker. Well, he wasn't a lawbreaker. He kept the law. God manifested in the flesh. Christ kept the law perfectly. And he said, I didn't come to destroy the law, come to keep it, every jot and tittle. And he did. And then he told him in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20, he said, except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, the, the scribes and the Pharisees who taught the law, they taught it wrongly. They taught the law as a system of, of salvation by your law-keeping, by your works. And you'll always fail. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Well, what is the glory of God? The glory of God is the perfection of righteousness that can only be found in Christ. Christ is my law-keeper. I'm a failure when it comes to keeping the law. And if your hope of salvation is based upon your efforts to keep the law, I can tell you right now, you will fail. You have failed and you will always fail. And if you appear before God at judgment pleading your efforts to keep the law, you will perish. You will be condemned. Salvation is not by the works of the law. So when he says in verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments, he's not telling them that if you love me, you'll be trying to keep the commandments in order to make yourself right with God. No. Salvation is not by works of righteousness, which we have done, do, or will try to do. We are all sinners. The Bible says that by nature, as we are fallen in Adam and born into this world spiritually dead and depraved, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. Good according to God's standard. I know people who in, the eyes, in our eyes, in the eyes of men and women, we look at them and say, well, that's a good man. Well, that's a good woman. But when it comes to a right relationship with God, none of us are good. Because God's standard of goodness is the perfection of righteousness that can only be found in Christ. And anything less is sin. Anything less deserves condemnation and death. That's right. 
I quote this verse all the time, Acts 17, 31, where God commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained in that he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. So if you're going to plead your works, your efforts at the judgment, they must equal the works and the efforts of Christ. And they won't. So what does he mean? He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Well, if you love him, if you truly love Christ, that means you are a sinner saved by grace and that you've been given a new heart, a new spirit, a new desire to believe in him and follow him. And his commandments here are his word. Whatever he says. When Christ speaks and tells his disciples to do this and not to do that, he's not making suggestions. He's giving commandments. And those commandments are to be followed. Now, will we follow them perfectly? No. Why? Because if we're saved, we are still sinners saved by grace. We still have a warfare within of the flesh and the Holy Spirit. Paul said it in Galatians chapter 5. He said the flesh keeps us from attaining the perfection of righteousness that can only be found in Christ within ourselves. I can tell you I love God. There was a time I did not love God when I was in false religion. But when the Holy Spirit brought me to Christ, He shed abroad that love of God in my heart, God's love for me in Christ, that was shown in the propitiation that Christ made for me, that sin-bearing sacrifice that brought about satisfaction for me. And then He drew out my love for Him. But my love for Him is not yet perfect. I still have too much self-love. Too much selfishness. Too much hatred. Somebody said there's no room in a Christian's heart for hatred. Oh my soul, you don't know yourself. The flesh, that fallen, sinful human nature, keeps me from loving God as I desire to do. But I do love Him. I can say that honestly. Because I, I believe in Christ. And I want to follow Christ. I have a desire to do it. Not in order to be saved, but because I am saved. And so, keeping His commandments here is following Him and seeking to obey Him as motivated not by legal threats of punishment or mercenary promises of earned rewards, but it's follow Him and seeking to keep His Word motivated by love, by grace, by gratitude. And so we struggle in the warfare of the flesh and the spirit. Now he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. The commandment to believe on him, cling to him, rest in him for all righteousness. The commandment to repent, to turn away from self in the world and, and, and turn to Christ. The commandment to love the brethren, to love our neighbor enough to tell him the truth. All of those things. To follow him. To forgive as He forgave. 
to be to pray as he prayed in the sense of, of depending upon the Father, to worship, all of these things, to 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 try to be a good person, realizing the whole time that we fall short of the perfection of righteousness which we can only find in Christ. And so this is obedience motivated by love, the faith. It's, it's the, the obedience that comes from faith, not from law. And so I hope that's clear to you. Well, he says in verse 16, he says, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Now that comforter there is the Holy Spirit. And that's what he says in verse 17, Even the Spirit of truth, which is the title of the message today. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. And Christ calls him a comforter here. Now that word comforter is advocate. And the Holy Spirit is our advocate uh, in the sense that he stands within us and beside us to continually comfort us with the peace of God that that goes beyond understanding that we can only find in Christ. Now, Christ is an advocate. He's our advocate in a different way than the Spirit is. Christ is the advocate of His people in the sense that He is our intercessor standing between the Father and us pleading the merits of His blood, His righteousness on our behalf. 1 John 2 says that. If we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. The Holy Spirit is our advocate, our comforter, in that He continually drives us to Christ and His Word for peace, for comfort, for assurance. You want assurance of salvation? Don't look within yourself and see if you measure up. Because what are you measuring, if you do think you measure up, what are you measuring up to? Not God's standard. Because God's standard, again, is the perfection of righteousness that can only be found in Christ. And you'll never measure up to that except in one way. There's one way that I can say I measure up to the perfection of righteousness that can only be found in Christ. And that's as Christ stands as my representative, my surety, my substitute, and my redeemer, and I have His righteousness imputed, charged, accounted to me legally in the eyes of God. In that sense, I'm a righteous man. Not in myself now. Not in my thoughts and in what I'd try to do or anything like that. But only as I stand in Christ as my Lord and Savior. That's why David said in Romans, or or Paul quoted in Romans 4 and verse 6, He spoke of the blessedness of the man to whom the Lord imputeth righteousness without works. Well, what is that imputation? Imputed. That means God legally charged, accounted the righteousness, the merits of Christ's righteousness to His people. And so they are justified in His eyes. What is it to be justified? It's to be forgiven of all my sins on a just ground. And what is the only just ground? The blood of Jesus Christ. To be justified is to be declared righteous in God's sight. 
That means I'm not charged with my sins. I'm a sinner, but God doesn't hold them against me. He charged them to Christ. And I stand righteous in His sight. He's declared me to be righteous. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, I believe it's verse 31, He says, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifies. Who can condemn us? Huh? Who can condemn us? For it's Christ. Christ died for us. Christ is our hope. And there's no condemnation to them which are in Christ. So that's how I'm righteous. But within myself, in my thoughts, my desires, though I seek to serve God, motivated by love, grace, mercy, and, and uh, uh, all by faith, I'm still not perfect in myself. I still have a long way to go. And I won't be perfect in myself until I leave this wretched body and go to be with the Lord. Paul said in Romans 7, 24, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ my Lord. That's how I'll be delivered. So he says, I'm going to send you a comforter, give you another comforter. Now, the Holy Spirit has always been working in the people of God, even back in the Old Testament, in the new birth to bring them to faith in Christ and repentance of dead works. But there was a prophecy concerning the new covenant, the new covenant times. And that's the time when Christ would come in time, do His great work of redemption on the cross, be raised from the dead, and ascend unto the Father, and then the new covenant was inaugurated in at Pentecost when Peter preached in Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit came in a special, powerful, miraculous way. Now he'd already, the whole, again, understand now the Holy Spirit had already been working in the Old Testament in the believers. Anybody who's a believer has been born again by the Spirit. That goes back to Abel, Abraham, all of them. If they believed. But in the New Covenant, He was coming in a special way because the Gospel was going to be shot out into the world because God has a chosen people all over this world. Jew and Gentile. And so Christ speaks of that. He says in verse 17, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth Him not. What He's talking about there is the unbelieving world. Now, we're all part of the unbelieving world by nature. But if we see the truth, if the Spirit of truth comes to us, He's, re he's got to reveal Himself to us. And that happens in the new birth where He brings us under the preaching of the gospel. And He says, It seeth Him not, neither knoweth Him, but you know Him. You know, back in John chapter 1, He spoke of those who received Christ, who did not receive Christ, and those who did receive Him. And He said, those who did receive Him, they were born of God. God revealed Himself to them. And He says, but you know Him, for He dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Now, the Holy Spirit was already in believers. But what He's talking about is He's, he's with you right now, and He's going to be in you in a special way. And that had to do with the the ministry gifts 
of the early church speaking the gospel in other languages. That's what speaking in tongues is about. It's not some kind of a heavenly gibberish. Speaking in tongues, as they did at Pentecost, was the ability to preach the gospel in a language that you had never studied. I don't know Spanish, but if all of a sudden I started speaking the gospel in Spanish, that would be the gift of tongues. And those of you out there who know Spanish, you'd be able to understand me. Now, another, another way that that miracle gift came about is there were people there that didn't know the, the native tongue of Peter and James and John and all of them. And Peter and James and John spoke it in their native tongue, but the people who didn't know it heard it in their own tongue. That was one of those gifts. So if I kept on speaking English like I am now, you can call it that, if you're out there and you don't know English but you know Spanish, you might start hearing it in Spanish. And that's, that's the miracle. It wasn't some heavenly gift. It wasn't given to everybody. That gift is no longer in, in uh, uh, existence because that was a gift to the early church. People will argue that, but that's okay. If you claim to be able to speak in tongues, I ask you, what language are you speaking and what are you saying? Because if you're not speaking in a language that's on earth, and if you're not speaking in that language the true gospel, it's not a gift from God. Believe me. Well, they had other gifts. The gifts of healing. Even the gift of raising the dead. And the Holy Spirit shall be in you in a special way. He says in verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Now, comfortless there means orphans. I'm not going to leave you orphans. When I go away, Christ is saying this. He's going to the cross. He's going to die for the sins of his sheep. He's going to satisfy justice. He's going to bring in an everlasting righteousness of infinite value by which God has justified all of his people. And then he's going to die. He's going to die and he's going to be buried. He's going to be raised again. Now he will walk among his people for a time, but then he's going to be ascended unto the heavenlies. But he said, when I go away, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. God is still your father. Christ is still your elder brother, your savior. So I'm not going to leave you orf orphan, uh, as orphans. And he says, I will come to you. He's coming again. In his intercessory work at the throne of God right now, he is he's, he's pleading for his people and he's keeping his people and he's going to come again and take us all into his bosom, his glory, and we'll live forever with Christ. I hope you'll join us next week for another message from God's Word. We are glad you could join us for another edition of Reign of Grace. This program is brought to you by Reign of Grace Media Ministries, an outreach ministry of Eager Avenue Grace Church in Albany, Georgia. To receive a copy of today's program or to learn more about Reign of Grace Media Ministries or Eager Avenue Grace Church, write us at 1102 Eager Drive, Albany, Georgia, 31707. Contact us by phone at 229-432-6969 or email us through our website at www 
the letter R, ofgrace.com. Thank you again for listening today, and may the Lord be with you.